0: The 2022 election is over, finally. Bring on 2024. Ah, just kidding. Today's commute includes a recap of the U.S. Senate runoff with two journalists who are on the ground with the candidates Tuesday night. Also, sportswriter writer Dennis Knight sets up Benedictine State football title bid. The commute is presented by National Office Systems. Here's the horns. Hello, Savannah, from all of us here at savannahnow.com. This is The Commute Podcast, and I am your host, Adam Van Bremmer, opinion columnist and a deputy editor at Savannah Morning News. I'm joined on today's episode by journalists Will Peebles and Abe Kenmore, who covered Tuesday's U.S. Senate runoff election and attended the candidate watch parties. But first, a word about our favorite office design firm and this podcast presenting sponsor, National Office Systems. We here at the Savannah Morning News are getting really excited about our much-anticipated office move, We actually went through a space earlier this week, probably not gonna work for us, but it was good to get out there and look anyway. Once we do settle on an address, our next call is to Scott Center and his team at National Office Systems. They've been helping Savannah businesses with their office needs since the 1980s. National Office Systems offers more than 200 product lines, including a new collaboration from two of the office furniture industry's leaders, Herman Miller and Knoll, also known as Miller Knoll. If your office space needs a refresh, National Office Systems can help. Learn more by visiting www.natoffsys.com. That's www.natoffsys.com. Now, here's the U.S. Senate runoff conversation. This is the day after the election episode of The Commute, and I'm joined by probably the two people that are, uh, aside from people on the campaign, are two of the more fatigue people around. And that's uh, our journalists here with Savannah Morning News and Augusta Chronicle and Athens Banner Herald. It is Abraham Kenmore and Will Peebles. And they were in Atlanta last night. Abe was at Warnock, uh, Raphael Warnock's party at the Atlanta Marriott Marquis. And Will was a couple of blocks away at the College Football Hall of Fame for Herschel Walker. And Guys, let's let's set the scene first. Um obviously the I think the tone and the tenor from from what I've gathered from from both of you was a little different from one place to the other. One and basically one campaign was a lot more confident than the other coming in and it turned out to be uh well-founded confidence and lack of confidence, but key, just can you kind of give us a little uh feel for what it was like with with Warlock starting at you know, I guess when the polls closed at 7 until until he took the stage and and took and gave the victory speech, uh, what, about four and a half hours later?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a party the whole time. Um, before the crowds really came in, they had a couple of campaign surrogates, you know, consultants and that kind of thing who were coming out and talking to us. And the person I spoke to, um, Theron Johnson, who's well-known sort of strategist, he was saying, you know, all the key... The key counties are going our way. We're feeling very confident. There was no hedging. Of course, almost every campaign is going to tell you something that's a positive spin on it, but there was no qualification to it. And all through the night, even when the numbers kind of evened out at a couple of points and Walker got a little bit ahead, everyone was cheering and shouting and uh, every speech during the night was, we already have won this. It mm-hmm. was really it was a party the whole time yeah packed ballroom packed absolutely yeah the the line lasted at least an hour and a half after the doors opened just to get in. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, will, of course, you were at, at Herschel Walker's party, which uh, Warnock has a little bit of an advantage with the party, right? because he's this is his second go around. This was Walker's first go around or at least the second half of his first go around in terms of a an election night uh, celebration. What was kind of the mood and the tone? at uh, Walker headquarters.
2: Well, you know, uh, when I got there, uh, it was, it was weird because the building wasn't super packed. I don't know. I I feel like I expected a rally. I've never been to a federal campaign watch party. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I think I expected there to be more people, a little bit more electricity in the air, I guess. But yeah, you know, I told my friends, it kind of felt like, uh, like somebody booked a high school prom at a really fancy place, you know? Um, but, yeah, uh, eventually, essentially, like, my take from it was as soon as 7 o'clock hit and the results started coming in, like, I don't know, like 7.15, 7.20 or so, um, he was behind, right? Like, Herschel right. was behind Warnock for most of the evening. Um, mm-hmm. And there were a few moments in there where people got excited. I, was, I had my back to the big Jumbotron that they had set up in there that was just, like, playing the Fox News uh, live coverage of it. Mm-hmm. And, and i didn't really even have to look at it because you could tell when he got ahead because they'd start cheering um and then you know you could turn around less than a minute after and then he'd it'd be back to 50 50 or it'd be back to 50 like 0.2 49.8 um with warnock in the lead um so it was really a roller coaster uh, at my spot um but yeah, f- folks were, folks were there sort of just mingling about, not really, it, it didn't feel like a party. Like I saw, <laughs> I saw after, after they confirmed it, after Fox news called the, the race, um, they went to a live shot of the party that Abe was at over at Warnock's and there's people dancing around. It looks like a club. Nook if you buck is playing uh, the Georgia, the Georgia state anthem. And, and like, mm-hmm just none of that um at the the herschel one i mean it's a different audience obviously but um i don't know it was very indicative of how the night was going like i could have known nothing about this race going in with no context other than the uh what i saw at the watch party Mm -hmm. and i don't know you kind of got the whole story there just from from seeing people get sort of excited and then you know die back down cheers 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 quiet 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 you know Right. Um, right but yeah, who
0: who was there? I, I saw some pictures. I saw Kelly Loeffler was there. Was there anybody else uh, high profile milling about?
2: You know, I didn't actually see Loeffler. Um, I, I didn't see her there that night. Uh, I didn't find out about that until uh, this morning. But yeah, um, they, they kind of cordoned us off. But we, we didn't I didn't see a whole lot of celebrity appearances. You know, it just mostly seemed like uh, the people he had speak were local pastors and um, local GOP leaders um and like uh uh i wrote his name in the story but for andy v- andy vino i think a country music yeah, yeah. Right. um but yeah that was as, that was about as high high power celebrity as it got um uh, as far nothing, as i could tell
0: nothing like what Abe had over next door i think i saw spike lee right
2: it's,
0: yeah you've got to go see spike lee
1: yeah <laughs> Yeah, we had Spike Liddy and Andre Dickens, the Atlanta mayor. Those were kind of the two high profile ones. There were a couple other folks, a labor leader from uh, CWA, another sort of smaller city mayor. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I did notice is we also didn't have any real federal elected Democrats that Mm -hmm. at least that spoke publicly. They could have been in the crowd. I missed them. But like Nikema Williams, who's head of the state party and that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. No, no. John, John Ossoff. No.
1: No, Ossoff didn't speak. He may very well have been there, uh, but he, um, Dickens was kind of the highest ranking elected Democrat to speak, other than Warnock himself.
0: Right. Now, Will and and Abe both, well, Will mentioned it and Abe alluded to it. It was a bit of a roller coaster night, just as the votes came in. Obviously, the early votes were the first to post, and early voting uh, was going toward the Democrats, so Warnock had a, a big lead, and then as all the rural counties, which count faster because they have fewer uh, voters. Once those started to come in, you saw Walker hold pretty close to even. The final tally was about 95,000 uh, vote edge for, for Warnock as DeCab and Fulton and Chatham and some of the other uh, Gwinnett, uh, Cobb, some of the larger counties that came in at the end kind of really cushioned uh, Warnock's lead. But as you were in the, in the event and you saw that just it just kind of bouncing back and forth, and it seemed like it was on a razor's edge. I could tell you from sitting where I was sitting and being able to look and see what percentage of vote was in from which places, I kind of had a feeling most of the night that, that Warnock was going to have the edge. But in the room, did you guys get the sense that everybody felt like this was going to come right down to the wire, right down to 11 or 12 o'clock at night before anybody knew who was going to win?
1: I think there was more of that feeling among the press corps. Uh, at one point, the guy sitting next to me showed me that, uh, according to the official Secretary of State's results, Walker was up by, I think, 117 votes. Yeah. You know, yeah. like halfway through the count. It was wild. But mm. honestly, everyone there, like I say, everyone was talking about, we've already won this. Everyone was cheering. I can't even tell what they were cheering about half the time. They had a big old CNN screen up there. Mm. But... um yeah, I, I, everyone seemed pretty confident the entire time, even when the results went up and down.
2: Yeah. Well, did uh, did everybody think they were pulling the upset at, at some point? Yeah, the phrase that got tossed around at the Herschel watch party was, it's going to be a long night, folks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like just expecting it to really come down to the wire, be like a, a, a midnight call or even later. Honestly, uh, folks were like, <laughs> they, they said, sorry, we don't have any coffee. at one point um (laughs) but yeah no uh, the i think that i think what i saw and this is something that i have to do a lot is kind of just like separate the the journalism knowledge from myself a little bit and be like okay what would i be thinking if i hadn't been covering politics as closely as i have for as long as i have right um and 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 honestly the answer at one point a guy um he had a Bikers for Trump vest on. I, I went up to him afterwards and tried to get his name, but he didn't, he didn't give it to me because I think he was a little uh, antagonistic towards the media. Maybe that's not the right word, but um, he like came up to us when Herschel took that lead, that, the little short lead on Fox News, and it went up to like 50.1% or whatever. Um, and he was like, turn your cameras back on, turn your cameras back on, he's winning. And you know, it was like right after uh, most of the TV crews had just done a live hit. Um, <laughs> and I, I think he thought that that, that meant Herschel had won because right. he was like, Go, because another dude came up to me and was like, Does this mean he wins? And I was like, No, no, no. I mean, he's in the lead right now, but he doesn't, there's like a lot of votes still to count. Um, right. but no, I, yeah, kind of the kind of just a lot of hope in the room felt like, you know, people were really, really hoping for it to, for that to be the truth for Herschel to come around. Uh, saw a lot of the power of belief on full display. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, ultimately, that kind of got tampered down as the night went on. Cause, like you said, those, uh, the big, the big city centers are the last ones to go. And those are typically um, pretty heavily Democrat. But right. yeah, man. Um, yeah. A lot of, uh, a lot of people just really hoping for <laughs> a different outcome and uh, they did not get it.
0: We're going to unpack. Uh, kind of the results a lot here in the coming days, but just in in a little bit of a a snapshot, I think we've looked at it since last night, and it's pretty obvious that there are a a ton of counties, uh, triple digits. There's 159 counties in Georgia, more than 100. Uh, Warnock outperformed his uh, vote count from the general election, which is, is pretty amazing when you consider the runoff. The turnout is usually pretty depressed, especially with this one where the incentive to go and vote for a lot of people, which was uh, majority control of the Senate, was no longer in play. When you both saw the the turnout numbers and then learned that Warnock was was performing so well, what what where did you instantly go without you know digging too deeply into the data? Was it hey he really connected or hey people were really alienated with Walker or what have you uh, or some com- some combination of it? Go ahead, eight.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it is a combination. I think Warnock is a particularly strong candidate in Georgia. Um, I, you know, I've been following a little bit, but I also was reading like um, Greg Bluestein at the AJC's deep dive, uh, he's he was following the blow by blow of the campaign a lot more closely than than we were, mm-hmm. and he pointed out all the ways in which it was just a really strong campaign, raised the most money I think of any candidate. In the Senate, um, he had all kinds of organizations coming to Georgia and knocking on doors and just kept up a kind of light bipartisan message of, you know, we're going back to Georgia to get things done for Georgia. Right. So Mark is a particularly strong candidate. Walker was a really um Notably weak candidate. Right. Yeah. Waiting it, for the
0: next shoe to drop kind of candidate. Yeah,
1: Right. And and a couple more did. I think there was another allegation of um, domestic abuse that surfaced during the runoff. Some more information about the one of the two abortions <clears> he allegedly paid for. So I think it was it was both of those things. And And again, you know, reading some of the analysis, I don't think it was a particularly strong campaign. I don't think um, the campaign was able, you know, to have sort of really high powered campaigners and sort of consistent strategy and that kind of thing pretty much stopped talking to the press in the last couple of weeks. Right. Which is not usually a good sign. Yeah. So I I think it was both.
0: Yeah. And, and will obviously, as rehearsal kind of backed up, it came at the same time when Brian Kemp was stepping up in support of him, at least to a certain extent what was, what was your kind of take about the, the way the campaigns worked?
2: I think, I don't know. The, my first thought, my, I don't know, the initial thought that I had, um, when it, it kind of became clear that Herschel wasn't going to pull it out. Uh, I thought back to, um, strangely enough, David Perdue, um, because while not quite as tied to Donald Trump is Herschel Walker, as David Perdue was like David Perdue's first campaign ad, he wasn't even in it. It was just a video of Donald Trump endorsing him. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a bucking, another one, another one where Georgia was like, no, uh, I don't think I can vote for this this Trump aligned person. Right. Like, I don't know. Uh, It it made me question um, whether or not celebrity candidates are going to do good in Georgia, um, even with an endorsement of a clearly beloved by the right in Georgia governor in Brian Kemp, like Kemp is Kemp is probably, I don't know. I, Kemp is a top Republican right now in my eyes, probably nationwide just because of his, just because of like, I don't know. You, you saw him beat Stacey Abrams. You saw him absolutely trounce Purdue. And I, I don't know. I just don't see Georgia going for these almost gimmicky sort of candidates as, as much. I mean, you can make the argument and it's a good argument that, that it wouldn't have been this close if they didn't go for that. But I don't know, man, I, the, the, the fact that Herschel Walker didn't win last night shows me that there is at least two races where there's good evidence that just because Donald Trump said so does not mean Georgia is going to list.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That certainly seems to be the case in, in Georgia. So let's, uh, let's wrap up by spinning forward to 2024. I know the three of us don't want to think about elections until probably 2024, if not (laughs) later, but (laughs) As you project ahead, uh, obviously we won't have any Senate candidates on the on the ballot. Both those races, uh, the, the off term ends in 2026, so we won't be on the 2024 ballot. We will have all the congressional seats on the ballot again, and of course we'll have president. president. Um, is it one of those things you don't want to think about it at this point, or is it already kind of, uh, especially on the Republican side, uh, kind of captured your attention?
1: I mean – I think uh, I'm I'm pretty tired of campaigning. I do think <laughs> the, the, it is interesting and this is probably probably every state has someone who's getting floated as a presidential nominee. but there's been some a little bit of noise about Brian Kemp being a potential Republican candidate for president because he is an incredibly effective politician and very popular and has managed to thread a needle between a whole lot of disparate parts of the party. And now I'm starting to see some talk about Warnock potentially being a presidential candidate. I mean, he managed to win outright, you know, he managed to win a statewide election when every other statewide seat went to Republicans. He's, you know, unabashedly liberal, but happy to do bipartisan work. You know, he's um, a black pastor from a southern state who's, you know, the first African-American um sander from the state of georgia so i think that might be i'm not i don't anticipate there being a kemp versus warnock presidential race at some point in the future wow but (laughs) but it's not as inconceivable as it was maybe a year ago
0: right right wow i I hadn't thought i hadn't contemplated that well does that kind of give you
2: shivers yeah, I'm sorry. I, I I think I think I'm losing service. I gotta go. Uh, <laughs> I think I gotta throw up because get this: if that happened, then that would mean there would be another election for Senate that year too. Oh yeah. <laughs> and okay, all right. Let me because because I've heard the same thing about Kemp, and I'll be honest, man it it's not a bad pitch for the GOP. I ain't gonna lie to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, here's the thing about that: this is my this was my thought about it. I don't think Kemp. I don't know. I think Kemp could be talked into it, but he's also the governor of Georgia. Like, I, I think that's what he wants to be. Um, maybe there's maybe there's a, a far reaching federal thing down the line that he's going to do. But I don't know, because it, if it's in 24, he'd have to drop the governorship. Right. Um, to run. Um, and uh, they I, I
0: wouldn't don't... have to step down. But yeah, you're right. It would
2: it would certainly disrupt uh, oh,
0: disrupt his governing duties. He wouldn't have to step down. Did not he would not, not have to step down. No, but Sheesh. I'm with you. I think I think Kemp 2028 is, is much more likely.
2: Yeah, I, I think he I think he's going to get done with this term and then kind of kind of realign, adjust, take see where see where the world's at, see where the nation's at. Because I'll be honest with you, you know, it, in in six years now we have gone from Donald Trump to Herschel Walker being legitimate candidates on legitimate ballots, um, and and one of them won right. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them is going to be back in two years, mm-hmm. uh, at least for the primary. We don't know how that's going to go, but right. oh, Oh man, I didn't even think about Warren. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. a good point. Abe. <laughs> I will
1: say, I will say I've heard a lot more interest from the sort of, you know, Politico type, you know, uh, commentary at uh, about those races. than I think I've seen any indication from either. Sure. Person themselves that they're actually interested in running for, yeah. running for president.
2: Hey, uh, um, And I do feel like those rumors right now are exacerbated just because Georgia has such a spotlight on it. But, God, if it's two candidates from Georgia, oh, my God, I'm going to be looking for a career change. Dude, I don't think my heart could handle that. (laughs) Yeah, it's a a prisoner of the
0: moment kind of moment. And and speaking of which, did any since November the 8th, since what, about 1130 on, on, on November the 8th, we haven't heard. I haven't heard anything from Stacey Abrams. Was there any talk at either party that you were about about Stacey Abrams and what her future might be? I didn't hear anything. No. Oh, Wow. Even at the Democrats. Very interesting. Well, thank you both for your hard work, and uh, we will we will hopefully not have to talk any national politics for uh, let's let's give it at least a year, and we'll see what happens. But thanks uh, so much for taking the time to join me on the commute today. Thanks for having me. Thanks, up. Thanks one more time to Will and Abe. Before we shift gears to high school football, let me encourage you and all of our listeners to sign up for the Savannah Town Square Opinion Newsletter. It publishes every Tuesday and features everything you need to know to dominate the water cooler conversation at work. And you don't have to subscribe to the Savannah Morning News or to savannahnow.com to get the newsletter, so there are no excuses. The newsletter is free. Visit savannahnow.com slash newsletters to sign up. Now to the BC Cadets and my discussion with Dennis Knight. One thing we left out of this interview is the fact that Thomas Blackshear, one of Benedictine's top offensive players, is not playing in the state title game due to disciplinary issues. Here is everything else you need to know with d <laughs> Joined on the commute for the second week in a row by sports writer Dennis Knight, who covers prep uh, prep sports for us, including high school football this time of year. And of course, last week Dennis was in to talk about Benedictine's semifinal matchup, and uh, he had a little assist from from the dog that was chasing squirrels in his backyard. He assures me that he's either taking care of all the squirrels or taking care of the dog for today <laughs> uh, today's interview. And of course, BC dig win last week, and they go and they play Cedar Town. In uh, the the stadium formerly known as Turner Field, it is now Dennis. You can fill me in. It's Georgia State's football stadium. What's it called? It's called Center Park Stadium. Center Park Stadium. Three thirty on Friday. Of course, it'll be televised on GPB. And we'll oh yes, there. thank you for reminding me that. I got to put that in my story. <laughs> put that in your story, and and then of course the, the I'm sure there'll be a radio broadcast, as there usually is when it comes. Yeah,
3: to- ESPN Radio will be up there with uh with Kevin and. Kevin and Christian
0: on the call. Good. So here they are. They're ready. They're going for the repeat. Uh, I know that they have been in this spot before. Um, if, if you had to, let's just start. Let's let's just get right to it. Do you, do you think they? Do you think they're going to repeat?
3: Oh uh, yeah, no, I do. Um, the they had two losses on the season. Uh, one of them was to Ware County down there in a driving rainstorm. They lost fourteen to ten at Ware County. And the Gators are playing for the Class 5A state championship this weekend. There you go. They're undefeated. And the other loss was to Columbus of Miami, which is in the highest classification in Florida. And Columbus is playing for a state title, also, Hmm. I believe, undefeated. Or they might have one loss. Right. But but those losses, uh, you know, that's what Coach Britt's been trying to do, is prepare his team by having this rugged non-region schedule. And I think he's done it once again. Yeah, and those
0: games were really early, early in the season, right? So they were still kind of finding their way with some of the new players. Yeah, I believe they were uh, two and two. Those were in the first four weeks of the season. Tell us about Cedar Town. Uh, obviously, they're undefeated. I think they're they're the at least by the polls the number one team in that classification. Correct.
3: Yeah, they are. They are fourteen and zero on the season. Uh, they're averaging forty points a game and allowing only nine points. Mm-hmm. Uh, they run the wing T, mm-hmm. and they average uh, three hundred fifteen yards rushing per game, and I think maybe ninety yards or seventy yards passing per game. So they're really run heavy. Uh, they got this kid Harlem Diamond. He leads a team with twelve over twelve hundred yards rushing and twenty-one touchdowns, and he's also the top receiver with 18 catches for 400 yards and 8 scores. Wow. They got it they got another kid who's got named Patrick Gardner who's got 912 yards rushing and then Xavier Hargrove and Kamarian Davis. Both those kids have over 500 yards. So they're going to be a run heavy team in this Wing T. But uh Benedictine has faced a team like that in the first round of the playoffs, Whitewater. Mm-hmm. And Whitewater I think it was the first quarter they uh, well, in that game, it was tied 14 14 at the half before BC just pulled away to win it. I think it was 34 mm-hmm. 14. But Whitewater mm-hmm. really controlled uh, the tempo in that first quarter. I think they ran like 25 plays to five for BC, and uh, you know, that was giving BC fits for, for a little bit, but after a while. Uh, BC's athleticism, strength, and depth just wore down, and, and that's what I expect to happen in this game.
0: When we talked last week, you talked a lot about that defense and being what you really thought was uh, had become the strength of this team, in, in especially the front seven. Stopping the run, something that they have shown a penchant for doing all year long? Oh, yeah, they've been great. They're, uh,
3: in this last game, they gave up 21 points, but 14 of those – were were scored uh, off the second team in the fourth quarter. Um, They got Cole Simeon and Jeremiah Thomas up front, along with Elijah Alexander. Those guys up front are really strong. And then uh, their linebacker unit has been great with Wilkes, Albert, third Scroggins, Jonathan Hardy, a transfer from St. John Bosco in Southern California, along with Bryce Baker. Now, Bryce Baker is a question mark here, he hurt, him, hurt his ankle in the first quarter against Troop last week and left the game. Uh, they were real worried that it was a high ankle sprain. It turned out to be uh, a bone bruise on the ankle, which is something you can come back from quicker. Uh, they were hoping to get him back at practice today. He was wearing a boot uh, when I went out to practice on Monday. But they're hoping to get him back. But this kid, Kieran Glover, came in uh, to fill in for – for Bryce last week and had 15 tackles in the game. Wow. Uh, so they got, you know, they, they're they so deep. It's, it's really amazing. And uh, for him to come in like that and, and play a game like that was huge for the Cadets last week.
0: On the other side of the ball, you mentioned that, that Cedar Town was pretty stingy on defense, giving up uh, single digits in, in points. It, does that put the premium on Croman Hawk? Uh, I guess it always does, right? He's a quarterback.
3: Yes, and he's is, has he is really come on so strong. I mean, this kid he uh, he committed to Florida State before he even started a game at quarterback. Right. Uh, so this is his junior year, and uh, he's he was playing strong safety and tight end. So he got a lot of a lot of action in that uh, state championship game last year. But he's come on strong. He's completed sixty seven percent of his passes for nearly twenty five hundred yards, twenty four touchdown passes, and just three picks. And one of those last week. Was in Zequan Bryant's hand for a touchdown. He bobbled it and it got picked off. So that could have been a touchdown pass. But uh, and he's also a really tough runner. He's he's rushed for 419 yards and seven touchdowns, and that would be closer to 700 yards, I think, if they don't. They because in high school they count uh, sacks against right. your rushing. Against your rushing, forward. right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. he ha- he has got sacked a bit because this offensive line. I did a story on them this week. All five of them. Our first year starters, but they've okay. really come together. Uh, come together as a unit and, and gotten better as the season has progressed.
0: I'm going to butcher this, so I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think this this is if they win Friday, it'll be four titles in something like eight years. And I think they've been to at least the Final Four or several other years in that span. Are we starting to talk about a, a dynasty? Uh, oh yeah, I, I believe right. so.
3: They won it for the first time in 2014. Came back yeah. and. 16 and won it yeah. um those were both in class 2a then last year was up at the 4a level and uh yeah I, the semi-final bursts or i don't have it off the top of my head but yeah i think danny Britt has really created a dynasty here in savannah with this benedictine team and it just shows with that depth we we're talking about you know um it really shows and and there's it's not like they have to rebuild they just reload each year i mean you lose a, your state championship quarterback goes to Auburn, a four-star guy, and Holden Gurner, and he replaced him with Luke Cromenhock, who headed the Florida State, and he earned his four-star this year. I mean, how often does that happen? Right. Two four-star quarterbacks back-to-back. And Zaquan Bryan is another four-star player. Uh, he's committed to Minnesota, and he's he was battling injuries all year long and at the last – Six games, I believe, he's he's been nearly 100%, and uh, he's just having a great year. 56 catches for 615 yards and seven scores, almost 300 yards rushing, five more touchdowns, four punt returns for touchdowns.
2: Mm-hmm. And I
3: think three of those might have come in the playoffs. And yeah. then at safety, he's their, he's their safety net back there. He's got four picks and 64 tackles. So he's the two-way guy that, that really makes a difference for them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, just get the ball in his hands any way you can. Well, Dennis, safe travels going up there. A reminder, everybody, again, 3.30 on Friday. And if you're traveling to Atlanta, it will be on the at the stadium there on the south side of downtown. If you aren't going to Atlanta, please dial it up on GPB. And, of course, follow us, follow Dennis on, on Twitter. What's, what's that Twitter handle, Dennis? I know you update it quite often. It's uh, at... Dennis Dennis at Dennis Knight SMN at Dennis Knight SMN so dial it up there dial us up at savannahnow.com I'm sure we'll be posting uh, updates throughout the game and uh, I guess we'll we'll go ahead and say or I'll say I'll say go cadets and we'll see how it plays out on Friday Dennis thanks so much for taking the time to to talk to us once again about high school football All right, thanks for having me Adam Uh That's all for this edition of the Commute Podcast. Thanks one last time to our presenting sponsor, National Office Systems. Before I sign off, remember that we publish new Commute episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. Well, we kind of messed that up this week, but typically every Tuesday and Thursday. Whatever your interests, you will find interviews of interest in our archives. Search The Commute with that Savannah opinion on your favorite podcast app. The Commute returns next week. We'll talk to you then.